to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of John, chapter 15, verse 14, as we follow along with today's lesson. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. The proof of the friendship, obedience to his command. And his command, love one another as I have loved you. So he said, from now on, I'm not going to call you slaves. For the slave doesn't know what the Lord is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father, I've made known unto you. So I'm going to call you now my friends, not my slaves. You're my friends. It's interesting, though, that each of them, as they referred to themselves in their later writings, referred to themselves as slave. Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, and James, a servant of Jesus, or bond slave of Jesus Christ, and Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, Peter, a bond servant. They, they referred to themselves still as bond servants, but the Lord said, I'm going to call you my friends. And then he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So divine election, you haven't chosen me, I chose you. Jesus called them. Jesus went, was going by the Sea of Galilee, saw a couple of fellows as they were washing their nets, and he said, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I chose you. Went a little further with two fellows mending their nets, and he said, come and follow me. And they left their nets and followed him. He chose them. He called Matthew from his place at the customs. He was a custom officer, and he said, follow me. And Matthew left the custom booth and he followed Jesus. He said, I've chosen you. But it also followed that they had to obey the command to follow him. It's interesting, and we're getting into an area that nobody really understands, Some people pretend they do. But it's that sovereignty of God and the human responsibility of man and where are they reconciled? And God only knows. But as someone has said, the Lord gives the call and he said, whosoever will, let him come. 
and drink of the water of life freely. For whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So the invitation is given to all, to all men. God hasn't excluded anyone as far as the invitation. Whosoever is whosoever. The invitation is to all. But not all respond to the invitation. So on the outside of the gate, it says, whosoever will, let him enter into the gate of life. And so you feel the tug of God upon your heart and you say, yes, I'm tired of this life of sin and this going nowhere. I want meaning and purpose. So you enter the gate because it says whosoever, and that's pretty broad. It includes you. And so when you get inside and you have the joy of of being here now in the kingdom of God, you look back and you read on the inside of the gate, it says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. How do you discover you're chosen? By entering. And when you enter, you find you have been chosen. If you don't enter, then you weren't chosen. Too bad. You say, but that's not fair. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, it is fair. Because he said, look, whoever wants can come. So you can't blame him for not being fair, for not choosing you. The thing is, and of course, here's, here's the whole thing and that we can't understand. And that's why it puts it out of our category. <laughs> he knew who was going to respond because he knows everything. And so those he did foreknow, he did also predestinate. But you don't know. And so the door is open to you. And whoever you are, you may come and receive the gift of salvation. No one is excluded from the invitation to come. And thus, you can't blame God because He gives you the invitation. If you reject the invitation, he lets you do that. But he always knew you were going to reject it. You say, well, that's that's sort of difficult. Yeah, well, solve the whole problem. Just accept the Lord and, (laughs) and you don't have any more problem. You discover that he chose you. I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Now that's what he's chosen you for, to bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain abiding fruit. It isn't just this flash, spectacularism, drawing a big crowd, making an appeal and having thousands of people come forward. It's not how many come forward, it's how many stick. How many are still walking with the Lord five years later, ten years later, the fruit that abides, and that's the kind of fruit that we're interested in, the abiding fruit, that which remains. It's not being sweet for a few days and then going back to your cantankerous old self, that the fruit might remain, that you might continue to love. And that whatsoever you ask the Father, he may give it to you, asking in the name of Jesus. 
And so these things I command you, he emphasizes again, I command you that you love one another. Now, in contrast, the world is going to hate you. And you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In the early period of the church, the church, of course, uh, was born during the time of the Roman government. And the Roman government looked with disfavor upon Christians because they considered them insurrectionists against Rome. Rome actually ruled from the Euphrates to England and and that whole vast territory, so vast that uh, there was oftentimes difficulty of maintaining the rule over such a vast territory. Now, for the most part, the people who were conquered by Rome loved being under the Roman government because there was a form of justice that they had not known under the feudal kings that uh, once ruled in their areas. Most of the people were very happy for the Roman rule. There was law and order, and the people appreciated it. And thus, the Caesars, the rulers of the emperors of Rome, ultimately came to be worshipped as God. Now, they first sought to discourage that, but then they saw that they could use that for their uh, own purposes by letting the people look upon the emperor as God. Caesar is Lord. And, and by looking upon him as God, he could have better control over the people. So it developed in time that every year a person had to bring a pinch of incense and offer the incense and declare Caesar is Lord. And then you got your certificate that affirmed that you were a true Roman citizen. But there is no way the Christian would say that Caesar is Lord. And thus they were looked upon as insurrectionists and it came to the place where it was a capital crime to be a Christian. If, if, if you were known to be a Christian, you would be put to death. It was a capital crime to be a Christian because it was considered insurrection against Rome. Not only did Rome hate the Christians, but also the Jews hated the Christians. And they stirred up a lot of animosity against the Christians. Paul, when he would go out on his missionary journeys, you will read in the book of Acts the problem that he had, and later he testified, the perils among his own countrymen, among the Jews, how they stirred up the strife and, and, and all against Paul and his company who were preaching the gospel. 
Now Jesus is saying, you're to love like I have loved, and his love was an unconditional love for us. But the world is going to hate. It's going to hate you. But he said, it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, they'd love you because they love their own. But because he has chosen you out of the world, therefore it's going to hate you. So remember the word that I said unto you, that the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Jesus didn't pull any punches. He let them know what it was going to cost to follow him. It's going to cost you because the world is not going to like you because you disdain the fleshly things of the world, the fleshly ambitions of the world. And you want to follow after the Spirit. That's not the world's way. And so they will hate you. If they have kept my sayings, then they will keep yours also. But uh, you're going to have persecution. But all of these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Because they're really ignorant of God, they're going to do this for my name's sake. When the apostles were beaten by the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, they went from the beatings, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer persecution for Christ's sake. Jesus said, it's going to happen for my name's sake. Now, here's where we need to keep things in perspective. The hatred that the world has for you, you should not take personally. It's really Jesus Christ that they hate. You happen to represent him. You happen to love him. But it's their hatred of Jesus, the hatred against God that you experience. And thus, you have that opportunity of suffering for Christ's sake. Now, Jesus said here something very interesting, verse 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin." but now they have no cloak for their sin. Remember, Jesus said, Woe unto you, Chorazin! Woe unto you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Tyre and Sidon didn't see the wonderful miracles of Jesus. Thus, theirs was the sin of ignorance. This is the sin of open rebellion against God. It's sin against light. This is the condemnation, Jesus said. Light has come into the world, but men love the darkness rather than the light 
because their deeds were evil. They would not come to the light lest their evil deeds be reproved. So had I not come, had I not done the works, had I not brought the light, then the sin would not be as great because it would still be sin of ignorance. Jesus said in Luke 12, the servant which knew the Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, will be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, the ignorant, who had done things that were deserving many stripes, will be beaten with few. For unto whom much is given, of them much shall be required. To whom have he has committed much to him, they will ask the more. So Peter said, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled back in the things of the world and overcome, the latter end is worse than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. With knowledge comes responsibility. So it's too late for you. You've heard. And thus the sin is greater because it's the sin against light if you reject Jesus Christ. So if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now there's no cloak. For he that hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works, that is the miracles, that's what he's saying to Chorazin. If the works that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, you know, they would remain. More tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for this generation. But now they have both seen and they've hated both me and my father. But this has come to pass that the word might be fulfilled that's written in their law, they hated me without a cause. There are people today who hate Jesus and they really don't know why. And they, and they speak in very hateful terms about Jesus. Next time you hear someone speaking in a very disparaging and hateful way about the Lord, ask them, why do you hate Jesus so much? See if they can give you a reason. <laughs> he said, they hated me without a cause. That's what the prophecy was. But now he turns from this and he says, but the comforter, when he is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. When the Holy Spirit comes, his witness to you will be of Jesus Christ. And you also, now he will bear witness, but you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So 
The witness of Jesus is to go out into the world through the Holy Spirit and through those who have been with Jesus from the beginning. When in the book of Acts, when the disciples were assembled together waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, Peter stood up in the midst and he said, you know, it's important that we choose someone to take the place of Judas Iscariot. One to be numbered with us who can bear witness of the resurrection. So they said, we need to choose a man who has been with us from the beginning who can also testify of having seen the risen Christ. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. You become my witness. Now, Jesus said his works bore witness. John the Baptist bore witness of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the Messiah. John is seeking to prove it. But like a, uh, an attorney, he is presenting all of these witnesses uh, that testify that Jesus indeed is the Messiah, the Son of God. The works that Jesus did, he calls them to bear witness. Yes, no man can do these works except he is from God. God the Father bore witness of him. Uh, the disciples are going to bear witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness. All of these witnesses which affirm the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why John in the 19th chapter will say these things. Many other things did Jesus which I did not write, but these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and by believing have life in his name. So here Jesus is giving this sort of final kind of instructions. It has to do with abiding in him. It has to do with keeping his commandments. It has to do with prayer. It has to do with bearing fruit. And it has to do with love, loving. That's the ultimate sign. That's the ultimate experience. That's the ultimate evidence. That's the ultimate witness to the world, that love that he has commanded that we're to have one to another. And so may the Lord help us to love one another, even as he loves us. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 16, and we continue our journey, glorious journey, through the Bible. Jesus begins the 16th chapter with uh, the words, these things have I spoken unto you. Now he ends the chapter with the very same words, these things have I spoken unto you. As we have shared with you from chapter 13, uh, we are taking a rather thorough look at uh, the last evening that Jesus had with his disciples. It began with the Passover supper with his disciples and the discussion that took place 
during the dinner and after the dinner. And then it moved in chapter 15 to their walk from the site of the Passover supper to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so chapters 15 and 16 seem to be spoken by Jesus to his disciples as they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. It is interesting that John gives us so much insight in this one evening of Jesus. It takes up several chapters. In fact, almost a third of the Gospel of John is taken up in this one evening. John, at the end of the book, said, I suppose if everything was written that should be written concerning him, that all of the libraries in the world could not contain the things that could be written concerning Jesus. And so we sort of get an example of that in just the one evening that takes up several chapters of John's gospel. So, as we pointed out, it's sort of a conversation. The disciples are asking questions, and Jesus is giving them answers. And then he is just instructing them, instructing them mainly about the fact that though he is going away, They will not be without help. The Holy Spirit is going to come. It's not going to be easy. The world is going to hate you. You're going to be going through some heavy trials. And these things he said, have I spoken unto you, that you have heavy trials. And these things he said, have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. Expect these things. Don't think that the world is going to hail you as a champion. They're going to hate you, Jesus said. And so I've told you these things that you won't be offended because they're going to put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whosoever kills you will think that he is doing God's service. And this was true. The Jews felt that they must stamp out this new sect. Paul the Apostle, as he is recounting to Agrippa his conversion, he said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put it to death, I gave my voice against them." And I punished them often in every synagogue, and I compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. So 
Paul speaks of his own persecution, thinking that he was doing God's will. He was serving God in his endeavor to destroy Christianity. We do read that when Stephen was stoned, that Paul was consenting or voted for his death. And and he's telling Agrippa that he voted for the death of many of the Christians. So these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. Now, this is a very interesting statement as Jesus is speaking about the religious Jews who were, they felt, serving God. Now, today, quite often, you will hear people talking of the Jews and their religion. And I've had them ask me this. They said, my family worships God. We go to synagogue every Sabbath. We observe Sabbath. We say the prayers. We keep kosher. And do you mean that just because we do not believe in Jesus, that we are going to be lost because we worship God according to the traditions of our fathers? It's interesting to me that those Jews in Jesus' day were even more obedient to the law than the present-day Jews. They were offering sacrifices for sins. The temple was still standing and the priests were still making the sacrifices and the offerings. But Jesus said concerning those Jews who were going to temple, who were offering their sacrifices, who were going through the forms of worshiping God, that they really didn't know the Father nor Jesus. Interesting statement. With all of their religious activities, they really didn't know the Father. It's possible that your religion can be a matter of rote, a matter of ritual, a matter of going through motions, but not really knowing God. Paul testified of the Jews of his day. He said, I testify of them. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge and having a form of godliness. But that's all it is, is just a form of godliness. Paul, writing to the Romans, said, when they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful. And so uh, here Jesus is saying, they're going to think that they're doing God's service when they kill you. But... They really don't know the Father, and they don't know me. But these things, he said, I've told you, 
that when the time shall come, you will remember that I told you of them, and these things I didn't say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. Now, the revelation of God to our hearts is a progressive revelation. And Jesus did not let them know at the beginning all of the persecution that they would face for his sake. The reason why is that he was with them to shield them and protect them. When they were cornered by the Pharisees and they were being asked difficult questions, they didn't have the answers, Jesus came and he rebuked the Pharisees more or less, said, what are you talking to them about? And he stepped in and he defended them. But he's not going to be there. I'm going away. You're going to be without me, but you're not going to be without the help of God because I'm going to pray to the Father. He's going to give you the comforter, the spirit of truth, and he will guide you into all truth, and he will, he will be with you to help you. But you're going to be going through some very severe persecution and severe testings, and you're going to be giving your life. They're going to take your lives thinking that they are serving God. But now he said, I go my way to him that sent me. This is the reason why I'm telling you these things, because I'm going back to God, and none of you ask me, whither goest thou? Now, I don't quite understand that, uh, because... Uh, Earlier in the 13th chapter, uh, when Jesus said, I'm going away and where I'm going, you can't come now. Peter said, where are you going? Whither goest thou that we cannot come now? And, and so Jesus, when he said, none of you ask, where are you going? Evidently, there's a different slant of understanding or meaning here in, in what Jesus is saying than the question that Peter asked earlier. But because he said, I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, back in the 14th chapter, he said, if you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to my father. And, and now he's saying, sorrow has filled your heart. And yet he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he said, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so they are, they are really in a quandary right now. They don't understand what he is saying. They still cannot accept the cross. They still cannot accept his death, that he's going to be going away from them. They can't accept that. They are still thinking that the kingdom is going to be set up very soon, right away. It's interesting that after his resurrection and the 40 days that he was with them, on and off, ministering to them, he then ascended into heaven. And just before he ascended into heaven, he told them to go into Jerusalem or back to Jerusalem. They were at Bethany, there on the Mount of Olives, he said, now go back in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. 
which I've been talking to you about, because in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it just a few days away? Are we almost there? And they were still expecting the immediate establishing of the kingdom of God. Uh, This time period that we are presently in, in which the Lord is gathering out from the Gentiles a church, the body of Jesus Christ. They didn't understand this time gap. And Jesus said, it's not given to you to know the times or the seasons that are appointed by the Father. But you're going to receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. So uh, I'm going my way to him that sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. As long as Jesus was in a body, he was limited by the body to the material things of the universe, even space and time. When Jesus ascended into heaven, leaving space and time. Again, into that fourth or fifth dimension. Now, in that eternal, timeless, spaceless existence, He can be everywhere at once. Lo, I am with you always, he said. Some of you are going to be in Rome. Some of you will be in India. Some of you will uh, be in Africa, but I will be with you wherever you are. Where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And so the Lord is with us here tonight because he is spirit and he is with us here but he is also with the other fellowships throughout the area that have gathered in his name to worship him this evening and he can be with all of us he's not exclusively with one fellowship it doesn't mean because he's here he can't also be over on the other side of town or up the street Uh, because he is spirit. Now it's expedient that I go away in order that I might be able to be with all of you in order that the comforter uh, might come because if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove or... (laughs) Convict or convince, this Greek word is difficult to translate into English. Uh, It is a word uh, that is used in a court of law uh, 
and that is uh, to present the evidence to bring a conviction. Uh, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, it becomes very interesting at this point because when we think of sin, we usually think of the overt actions that are contrary to the commandments of God. And thus we think of sin as lying or stealing or cheating or coveting or getting angry, losing our temper. And we think of those things when we think of sin. But Jesus said, of sin because they do not believe in me. You see, that basically is the damning sin. All manner of sin and blasphemies shall be forgiven, man, Jesus said. He died for the sins of the world. God laid on him the iniquities of us all. He bore our sins. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, and Jesus bore himself every sin you have ever or will ever commit. And he is God's only provision for sin. All roads do not lead to heaven. There is only one way to enter the kingdom of God, and that's through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Few there be that find it. Broad is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many going in. There is a constant pressure from the world to try to broaden the gate. We are accused of narrow bigotry. So often people say their major objection against Christianity is our narrowness and our bigotry to say that Jesus is the only way. And they would make Buddha a way. They would make Shintoism a way. They would make just being sincerely religious a way. Surely God will accept all. That's not what Jesus said. And the exclusive, exclusivity, the who? Yes, the exclusiveness of Jesus <laughs> offends people that there is only the one way, but he is God's only provision to take care of your sins. And when my Jewish friend asked me about his family who were so religious, I said, what do they do about their sin? You see, God made a covenant with Israel that they could, when they sinned, bring a sin offering unto the Lord. And he made the provisions for the covering of their sins by the offering of an animal sacrifice, 
the animal substituting for them, dying for them, so to speak, because of their sin. He had no answer, except that, well, they just seek to be good and that their goodness will overbalance their evil. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, probably the holiest day in the Jewish calendar, that day when the priest would enter the Holy of Holies and offer the the goat sin offering unto God for the sins of the nation. That day, today for the Jew, is a day of reflection. It is still a solemn day. But now, rather than being forgiven and made righteous because of the sacrifice of the goat, they seek to be righteous by their good works, and thus they sit and they reflect upon the goodness that they have done this previous year. And they vow and and promise to seek to be good and to do nice, generous things, hoping that their goodness will counterbalance their evil. But Paul said, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Jesus is God's only provision for sin. And thus the Holy Spirit testifies of sin. Jesus said, because they do not believe me. The only sin for which a person will be damned is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ, not believing in him as your Lord and Savior. Every other sin is forgivable. Every other sin has been born by Christ. He died for the sins of the world. It leaves only one issue, and that is Jesus himself And as the question was asked by Pilate, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah is the question that you must face and you must answer. To believe in him is to be forgiven of your sins. Jesus said that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the only begotten of the Father. So he testifies of sin, not of the things that we do daily in missing the mark, but basically of your refusal Believe in Jesus Christ as God's provision for your sin. Secondly, he convicts of righteousness. And again, Jesus said something strange. He said, of righteousness because I ascend to the Father. Now, early in the ministry of Jesus, he said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, 
something that must have blown their minds. Because he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if anybody could find entrance into heaven by works, by good works and by righteousness, it should be the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, because they spent their whole lives trying to keep every little aspect of the law, trying to live by the righteousness that comes from keeping the law. And they devoted their life to that. Paul the Apostle, who was a Pharisee, in describing his life before he met Jesus, declared that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Concerning the law, he said, I was blameless. He had a tremendous zeal for the law, but he didn't know the Father, nor did he know the Son. But when he came to know the Son, then all of the credit that he had gained in his obedience to the law and the rituals, he said, I counted loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, for whom I suffered the loss of all of the prestige and all that I had, but I counted all but refuse that I might know him. The knowledge of Jesus Christ the righteousness which is of Christ, and be found, he said, in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but now the righteousness which is of Christ through faith. So our hope for the future is that we might be accepted into the kingdom of God, that God will receive us into glory. It's an interesting thing to me how that when anyone dies, we always want to think of them as being in heaven. Now, they may live like the devil, but when they die, we try to remember the good characteristics and hopefully they are in heaven. And and we want to picture them in heaven. Why? Because that is our desire. That when I die, I might be received by God into his kingdom, the eternal habitations of God. Now, God has made provisions for my sins through Jesus Christ that when I die, I can enter into heaven. But what is the righteous standard that God will allow into heaven? And the righteous standard is Jesus Christ. His ascension into heaven was God's declaration that this is the righteousness that I will receive into heaven. Anything less will not do. You have to be as righteous as Jesus Christ.
We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the Gospel of John in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the conviction of the Spirit. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order John 15 through 16 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we hear your word. We hear your commandment, and we confess that we have fallen short. But we also declare that our desire, Lord, is to obey. And so we ask in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit might so control our lives that we might love even, Lord, as you loved us. Unconditional love. Self-sacrificing love. Not trying to exalt our own position or place. Not seeking our own way. Not puffed up. But Lord, just loving, even as you love. And so put your love in our hearts that we might indeed be a witness to the world that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the only hope and the Savior of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I feel we are so close to the end. I have never seen so many signs that point to the end. Our country is in the worst mess it's ever been in. I said to Chuck, what can we do? Our life is given to the ministry, to the salvation of souls and the walk of Christians, and yet we can't seem to make a dent. Chuck, do you think it's because the Lord is coming soon and maybe there's going to be one last revival? Hey, ladies, I would like to highly encourage you to pick up a copy of Kay Smith's new book, Colossians, the most recent addition to her Bible study series. Like the believers in Paul's day, today we live in the midst of cultural craziness and we too are vulnerable to the quick fix 
Catholic solutions of world philosophers and religious legalists. Let Kay guide you through the book of Colossians to understand how the Lord wants you to live in these last days, to love your family, and to revive our nation. To order a copy for yourselves or a friend, please call the Word for Today at 1-800-272-9673. Or to see a sneak preview, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.